0: Okay, Welcome to the first episode of I Love It. So what is I Love It? It's pretty simple. It's a podcast where I have people I know on, and they talk a little bit about the things they love and why they love them. There's a world where this is sort of a pick-me-up show that focuses on love and what it can do for us, and, and that's great. But what I'm really interested in here is why people love certain things and how those things have had an effect on their lives and how they've sort of played out over the years or in that moment. Some of those things are serious. Some of those things are funny. Some of those things are even sad in the end. But I think ultimately what was really interesting was hearing people just talk about the effect these things they love have had on their life. So I think it's worth saying thank you to everyone who came on and opened up and was really candid and talking about these things they love and why they love them. If you want to check us out and follow us on social media before we kick the show off here, you can find us easily at I Love It underscore podcast on Instagram. We'll just kind of tell you when the new episodes are coming out and what we might be talking about. So feel free to follow us and check us out there. But now let's get into our first episode. We have an old friend of mine, John Bobby, who's going to talk a little bit about the lore of California. Well, look, look, the, the podcast is called I Love It. We're, we're here to find out what you love. John Bobby, what do you love?
1: I love this small steel ring that I got back in 2008. So I was working at CNN, living in New York, um, and I had sort of burned out on the city a little bit. I retreated and tried to go teach at my old college, came back, was working for this crazy right-wing conservative at CNN, Headline news, and every time we would travel, he would give me – he would give people, when we would travel for these tours he would do, he would give everybody sort of a present at the end for having traveled d- during the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And they were usually like a weekend at Atlantis in the Bahamas, which held zero appeal. To <laughs> um, the idea of being like at a water park, b- resort, I, I just didn't want to have anything to do. With it. However, so they let me spend the cash value traveling somewhere else. So I took it. Epic road trip, flew into Portland, Oregon, rented a car, drove down the Oregon coast, the entirety of the California coast. So in the early part of the trip, um, when I got to California, I went to the Santa Cruz, um, this, the boardwalk, and there's an old amusement park and it's one of the oldest still operating carousels in the country. I I had looked it up years before and I had forgotten and I just remembered when we started talking about this Mm so you think the carousel horse, and they're usually like these very ornate horses, you know, elaborately carved, and these horses are wearing that, you know, fancy horse <laughs> outfits. Um, and, you know, the, the saying, go for the brass ring, reach for the brass ring. So in these turn-of-the-century carousels, you would go around, and there would be this thing that now it seems horribly uh, dangerous. You would basically reach out with your index finger. And try to grab these rings. It was just, it would be these <laughs> rings at this one point in the carousel. You would go around and you would grab it. And if you got the brass one as opposed to a steel one, you would get a free ride. Grab the brass ring. The origin of that is um, uh, during the uh, knights, uh, you know, the King Arthur era of history, when knights would joust. When they weren't jousting at one another, what they would do is with these with their lances. Um, they would try to skewer a small disc, you know, as for accuracy. So that was the origin of the shoot for the brass ring. That's that's where it came from. And as carousel horses kind of evoke that period, you know, of magical horses and so forth, That's that was where the the legend um, got adapted to this small uh, thing. Well, they don't dispense the brass ones anymore because it turns out it's more expensive. However, they'll give you these steel ones all day long. So it and it's actually harder to grasp than you would think. The way they get the rings back is you think, well, if they're giving away rings every day, so the way it works is you get the ring, and then uh, if you got the brass ring, you got an automatic free ride. But if you got a ring on your way around, there was like a clown's mouth or some sort of like target. Whereas if you were able while moving to throw the ring into the clown's mouth, then you also got a free ride. Uh, and that and that continues today in Santa Cruz. And I think, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that the carousel in Santa Cruz on their boardwalk is the last U.S. carousel that still dispenses the brass rings. But anyway, after several tries, I got one uh, at this carousel, and I was so excited. I loved it. I went there really just for this because I'd read about it, done the research before my trip. And since that time, from the day I got it, I carried it on my key ring. And that's, you know, 2008, and this is 2020, so quite a while. And for me... Because I'd been so burned out, I lived in New York at that point for, oh god, over uh, sixteen years at that point, um, and I'd always wanted to move to California. I'd always, even though I hadn't really spent much time in California either, but in that road trip, having had this ring early on in the trip, it felt like sort of not a mm-hmm. good luck charm because it wasn't really that. But this trip was really about me kind of figuring out that I could exist. You know, I romanticized New York City all out of proportion only place I ever wanted to live uh, and finally got to a point where I thought maybe I can live somewhere else through this trip it really reinforced the idea that yes John you will survive off the uh, off the city New York doesn't have to be part of your identity you can <laughs> totally. go live somewhere else so even though it took me another seven years to finally move to California but all during that time I kept this this thing on my keyring, and it felt to me like um, like a talisman, like this is indicative of, I have gone, I did this trip by myself for two weeks, just driving around, uh, having adventures like Kane in, nice. in Kung Fu. Uh, and it, 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 I kept it with me as a way of saying, you know, this will happen. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not until, you know, 2015, but you will move to California. You can do it. And so I love it because it, it, it represented the hope. That I really had sort of lost living in New York. It represented a hope that, that yes, something else. There is a second act, at least geographically. And what like
0: what was the lure of like I always joke around about like when I came out, I was like envisioning you know driving around in a Joan Didion novel or whatever. But like what was what was the allure of California, particularly Southern California, for you?
1: I, I think you and I probably had a lot of the same triggers. You mentioned like the slouching toward Bethlehem and you know that sort of allure of. David Hockney's Southern yeah. California, you know, that vibe really resonated with me. Um, I, even though, I, you know, I loved Annie Hall, but when he came up to California and thought it was silly, <laughs> it was kind of amazing. <laughs> Late 70s, uh, LA seemed kind of great. Um, just the idea of it was the other, it was the other coast. It was as far away, you know, it was as far away from New York as I could get, in, uh, you know, in the continuous U.S., um... It just seemed like it'll be more like when I first was out here, I was amazed. I don't know, we talked about this back then that there were stores that just sold skateboards.
0: You're like, this doesn't.
1: <laughs> How do you just yeah. sell skateboards? I was like, what a mess. It was so, it was, and it was small things like that, that that were so profound to me. Like, oh, there's a whole leisure culture here that I don't know anything about. And people out here, you know, New Yorkers have this kind of reputation of being. Maybe smarter than the West Coast or more dialed into current events and news. But out out in California, there seemed to be this embrace Mm -hmm. of me time and people did leisure and there was the beach and surfing. And I loved all the trappings of all that stuff. Um, And really the weather, too. I'd grown up in Syracuse, went to school in Buffalo. So I had more than my fair share of snow. And the idea that you can go there, it's warm every day, you know, Uh, and it was just, it just, yeah, the way I romanticized New York is the way I romanticized. Southern California. For me, it was, it was Henry Jaglum films. It was Albert Brooks films. It was that allure of there wasn't a sophistication here, but it was different. And as much as I wanted into the Upper West Side lifestyle of living in New York, I wanted to dial into the, you know, West Side of L.A. And now I'm in San Diego. That kind of, you know, that vibe of like, you know, funky old bookstores and and, you know, the 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 well-read homeless guy uh, because it's beautiful here and why not live on the streets here? And, you know, kind of the, I don't know, like dime store profit type of thing. You know, the, the Tom Waits, people forget Tom Waits started right. in San Diego. Um, that was what I was shooting for. Uh, and, and I think much the way I moved to New York and got the New York I wanted, I, I did feel I moved to California and got the California I wanted. I was just much too late the way I was in new york i I wanted to live in new york in late 1970s and i got there in 94 i wanted to live here kind of roughly the same time late 70s and i got here
0: i mean we do like romanticize things and then you find your own version of that romantic thing but i but i really loved when you two were moving out here you're like you've spent some time working there where you know and i was like i mostly hang out on the east side and it was very clearly not an option you were moving to and i say this in a complimentary way the postcard. You're like, why would I move yeah. there and not live on the beach? Yeah. And then you were so steadfast in that, Of that was the version of California and, and Los Angeles in particular that you wanted it. And I always admired that. It, it wasn't like, yeah, we'll go out there. We'll figure it out. You're like, no, no, this is the version of my California that I need to find. And you guys did it. You had a beautiful place, a block off the beach in Venice. I mean.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as we found out when we moved there, like the, the people who had been, who had moved out there before us, they're like, you guys did the classic East coast thing. You got as close to the water as you could afford. You bought a car with a sunroof. Um, you know, it's all the things that you think that California is about. You know, or could, you you know, you wanted to get a convertible. Nobody in California wants a convertible. No native Californian the people who lived here for a while. You don't want a convertible. You don't want to live near the beach. The people who live near the beach, you don't want those as your neighbors. But by the same <laughs> token, it, it did not. It did not disappoint. And I never wanted. You know, we help We both had friends who, you know. Came from somewhere else and moved to New York City and it, like they were there for three months and freaked out and moved yeah, yeah. where came from. It was too hard. It was too expensive. And I didn't want that experience. I knew when I moved to New York, I was going to stay there. And then when my wife and I met in 2015 and moved out together, um, we knew we didn't want to be those people who were like, oh, it's not for us. We're going to move back where it's safe and comfortable. And there's much more work and opportunity for me professionally and her as well. We said, no, we're going to figure this out. So when we moved, as you know, we didn't have jobs. We, we didn't yeah. bring any furniture. We brought boxes of clothes and tchotchkes and things like, you know, carousel uh, rings um, and, and just decided we're going to figure it out when we get here. And it feels nice to know that you know, in five years, we sort of have figured it out, at least this version of what it's going to be.
0: And you also like I think you're right. Right. I think like, look, yes, you can undo anything. But I think a lot of times when people move or take jobs or or, or drastic things in their life. The attitude of like, yeah, if it doesn't work out, we'll just end it in a few months. And you, you, if that door is open, it's just too easy to walk through, right? You have to go, we're moving. And you guys did that. There was no, like no one in New York where I was at the time thought you were coming back. You know what I mean? There wasn't a thing like, oh, he'll be back. It was like, he's gone. He's a California person now.
1: And oddly enough, for as many years, my, my, really, I my entire social circle was in New York. It was people I met in 1985 and my career started there. I haven't been back in five years and while I miss the people and fortunately folks have come out here you know, for, for various projects and so forth, I haven't been back but there's, I think I stayed in New York. You know, who, is it It was attributed to, to Kurt Vonnegut but it was that, that one, um, she was an editorial writer after which paper, but she gave this famous commencement speech and she said that, you know, um, live in New York once but leave before it makes you hard and, and live in Southern California once, but leave before it makes you too soft. And I think what I, I've been 21 years in Manhattan, uh, great years and terrible years, wonderful experiences and tragic experiences. Um, And I think I stayed a little too long. And so when I finally left, you know, as a friend would say, I had bought the t-shirt and I was ready to go. (laughs) And there was no love lost between me and the city. I had plenty. Um, I had done all the things I'd wanted to do. I'd had, I'd had many more experiences than I deserved to. I haven't worked in television. I got to meet people and do things and go places and have experiences that would, that a kid from Syracuse wouldn't normally have had. Um, and so being out here, I think, you know, I, I'm anxious for it to make me a little bit soft. You know, yeah, the, that's fine. You know, also like
0: we can get yeah. softer
1: as we get older. Yeah, I would, but I mean a, a huge, you know, a, a Ninety-eight percent of my personality was cynicism and you know jaded sarcasm, and I think being out here where it's you, know, you wake up and it's sunny and there's a hummingbird. I've got a, I got a tree that grows avocados. Yeah, it's, it's too really sunny to be hard.
0: cynical. What it's am I being so angry about?
1: Hungry. That's my theory about New York. You have the notion of people are, are are not as smart out here as they are back in New York. If I get up early, let's say six a.m. It's already 9 o'clock in New York and in, in Washington. It's even later in London. Important news things, people who are dealing with current events, they're handling that. Yeah, we're I'm three hours dumber than the whole rest of the country all day. So out here, like, uh, I can either kind of kick and scratch and try to learn about what's going on or um, maybe I could go paddleboard you know, in the yeah. morning and like, then attend to work later in the day that's viable.
0: Here. Yeah. It, it just makes sense. I mean, I've always thought about that. The sort of vibe is exactly your point. It's like, when I wake up, everybody's already had, uh, you know, what's arguably the most productive part of their day. And I'm going, yeah. Oh, I should get some coffee. So it's like, okay, let's everyone just chill out.
1: And so I think you're right. I think, you know, th- there is, I think we've stopped um, playing that game that we can't win. Yeah. So, you know, we're not, you know, the, the, the we're not going to scoop anybody out here wake up. Morning becomes eclectic neglected. See what they're playing, <laughs> you know, and you know, yeah. You know, you know, check an email, and by the time I'm into the, thro- the, the throes of my day, people are at lunch. You know, back yeah. in New York, they're they're they've already done, like you say, the heavy lifting of, of of the day, and the news cycle is is I'm already late to that party. So why bother going? Yeah,
0: out? and that's and I mean, look, it's it's an intentional vibe here, right? And whether that like, at some point was a combination of being manufactured and then became real, if it was real, and then you sell the idea the same way you sell the idea of New York. It's just is the way it is. And it is significantly more chill out here. And I like it.
1: It's interesting because also have, we lived in Los Angeles for three years in Venice before we moved down here. And in, in a weird way, San Diego feels like, as, as, as I understand it, feels a lot like what I wanted LA and Venice to feel like when I got there, I think San Diego is far enough behind LA where there's still a lot of mom and pop shops. We live in Pacific Beach. It's very funky. Um, there, it, it's very neighborhoody. It's not all glossy and sprawling. It's still pretty compact. And yeah. so coming down here <laughs> in order to get the LA experience I wanted, I had to move to San Diego.
0: All right, that is the first episode of the I Love It podcast in the can. Uh, I want to thank John Bobby for coming through and sharing his tales of brass rings in California and making it out to the sunshine. Remember, you can follow us at I It underscore podcast on Instagram. We'll be sort of updating when the new episodes are coming out and some things that might be coming your way. So I would encourage you to keep finding us. Over the course of the season, we're going to talk about a love of condiments, a love and a passion for acting, We're also going to talk about how a love of audiobooks helps someone deal with their anxiety or how a revelatory moment about old cable movies as a child helps someone deal with the death of their father. So there's a lot of different ways to talk about this, but ultimately it's just about something someone loves and why and how they love it. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Take care.